We are continuing our study in the book of Galatians. I am uh, thankful to Brandon for putting this together for us and sharing it with me. And uh, I, I had uh, some nervousness about this book, and I don't know why. Uh, but fortunately, his confidence pushed me over the edge. Or maybe it was I just said, I'm not going to let him have all the fun. So here we are again. And we're in, uh, we're in Galatians chapter 2. Uh, we're going to go through the first 10 verses. I'd love it if you would uh, read them with me. Does anybody have a page in the Bibles underneath the seats? Nine? 972. Okay. So, let's read this together in the name of our Lord. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to be affirmed that I was not running or had run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised even though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery. To them we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God knows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be the pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave me the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and to me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing that I was eager to do. Father, as we go through these words, Lord, I pray that you would give them in a way that we will receive them, not just into our brains, but into our hearts and our souls. Let your word fill us and let it change us and let it, let us, let it reveal things to us that maybe we didn't know, but we need to know. We thank you in Jesus' great name. Amen. One of the things that I really like about the book of Galatians is that in much of this, Paul is telling his own story. Um, you know, Luke writes about Paul a good deal in the book of Acts, um, but that was written probably 10, 12 years later. So the first stuff that was written about Paul's life was what he wrote himself in the book of Galatians, probably written around the year 50 or 52. I've had heard different uh, thoughts on that. Uh, but it was early, as biblical books go. Not the earliest, but it was probably his first one. And it reminds me of a little story about my grandson. 
Uh, we were in Faith Foundations class, and yes, I got to teach three of my grandchildren uh, in Faith Foundations. And he and was some of the other young men in the class were acting up and not really responding to the admonishment to treat each other and me with love and respect. And at this particular moment, moment Doug was kind of leading the charge, which is okay. You know, I get it. So I just said to Doug, at a lull in the craziness, I said, Doug, do you remember who I am? Oh, sorry, Grandpa. And then I told him, that's Pastor Grandpa when we're in this class. So I don't know if the pastor part made any difference or the Grandpa did, but it lasted at least until the end of that particular class. And if you ever sat in on our classes, you would find that there's a fair amount of laughing that goes on, but it does get to the point where it's too much. This is what Paul was doing with the Galatians. He had been there. He had shared the gospel with them. And he's now in the process of writing a book to remind them partly who he is. The apostle to the Gentiles. Only there was a whole lot more at stake than there was in Faith Foundations class. Doug was never at risk of losing me or my love or my confidence or my willingness to forgive or any of those kind of things. That was never going to happen. But the threat to the Galatians was dire. Their eternal souls were at stake. And evidently, even though he had been there only recently, they needed to hear it again. From chapter 1, uh, we, we read that uh, right after his conversion, uh, Paul went to Arabia to attend seminary. Three years, that's how long I was there. Brandon was there for three years. Uh, mine were not continuous like his. He's much smarter than I am. Uh, mine took a very long time. I started with a year, big gap, and then another year. And um, it is not the recommended way. But for Paul, he was there in Arabia, in seminary. One professor, his name was Jesus. Can you imagine the patience for a guy that was driven, first for all the wrong things, and now driven by the gospel to share things with people that don't know him yet? And he was out apparently alone with Jesus. And that is when Jesus took a genius from, with the Old Testament and translated that into the truth of the gospel for him and then gave him all kinds of other revelation directly, not through someone else, Jesus to Paul. I mean, it was special. We read about Jesus doing that with the other disciples right after his resurrection where he opened their minds to the truth. We experience that ourselves as we're reading his word or hearing people preach or listening to something on the radio. You also learn in, in chapter 3 uh, or chapter 1 that the churches in Judea, those were the Jewish churches, 
He had not visited them. They didn't know him, but they had heard about him, and they were glorifying God. What happened to the Galatians? Now it's 14 years later, total of 17 years uh, after Paul was saved, and he is back in Jerusalem again. He's referring now to um, uh, an account in Acts chapter 15. Uh, He was at the church in Antioch, and the same stuff was happening. There were false brothers, false Christians. They were pretenders there, stirring up the church, saying that, Yep, you've got to be circumcised, you've got to live by the law of Moses, all these things have to happen, and it created a huge conflict in that church. And so the church leaders told Paul and Barnabas, you've got to go to Jerusalem and get this straightened out. And from the way this is written, I'm thinking he didn't really want to go. And I get it, the guy was an evangelist, he is driven to reach people for Jesus. A trip to to Jerusalem has to be a colossal waste of his time from his point of view. Why should I spend my time traveling all that way? Somebody else can go. They can do the whole thing. I'm going to go back out and reach people for Jesus. And by the way, that's how evangelists are. They don't have, they're different And sometimes the church doesn't really know what to do with them because they're so single-minded, so focused on reaching people for Christ. And that was Paul. Finally, God stepped in again. Another revelation. You've got to go. And evidently, it was like no one else will do. Go there. Lay out for them the gospel that you're preaching for them all to hear. I don't really think Paul needed an affirmation. I suspect that there was the church that needed an affirmation that the same thing was happening in in both places. And what is the gospel that he was preaching? Freedom. Freedom. Not the freedom to do anything I want. It's freedom from the law. It's freedom from any work, any performance, any anything in order to be saved. Freedom of the gospel. Every bit of our salvation is a gift of God's grace. Only grace. Through faith, only through faith, in Jesus, only in Jesus, and there is no to-do list. No laws that I have to live by in order to be saved. No little to-dos. I, I, I know a guy a long time ago, and he was talking to me about his adult son, and he said to him, you know, you clean up your life a little bit, and you can come to church with me. I was crushed. I didn't happen to know his son. But where has he been listening No to-do list, no life cleaning needed. God will take care of that later. And I mean, he will. And when they got there, the most wonderful thing happened. 
Titus was fully accepted. He was welcomed as one of them. Titus was a Greek. Not half Greek, not a Greek turned Jew. He was a Greek through and through. But he believed in Jesus. And the other apostles and any of the other leaders that were hanging around, they got it. And they welcomed him. And there was no to-do list even for a Greek in a Jewish world. Oh, but there were false brothers there. Uh, I think I might have shared with you, perhaps Brandon did too, that the, uh, the theological term for them is Judaizers. In other words, people that want to re-Judaize the, the people that were being saved and believing in Jesus. They were pretenders sneaking around in and out of the churches, first in Syria, Antioch, now they're there in Galatia, and they apparently showed up for that conference in Jerusalem too, trying to enslave them again to the law, trying to steal their freedom. Some time ago, long before we were here, uh, we were attending a church, it was in New Jersey, and, um, and there was a, a, a younger couple, they were probably in their 30s, who came and started attending church there. And they seemed really gifted. You know, they knew stuff. It was great. And, you know, they looked for opportunities to teach, first of all, in Bible studies that they went to and they contributed and then others. And, but then all of a sudden we realized some of what they were teaching wasn't true. It wasn't in the Bible. Very subtle. It's not the same problem Galatians had, but it's a similar kind of a thing where they just kind of snuck in. It was subtle at first. And then we began to hear really surprising things, like Christ didn't really die for everybody. Only a few. The chosen few. God's grace isn't offered to everyone. Only to the chosen few. And God's grace can't be refused. So if God's giving you his grace, you can't reject it. Essentially, in a translation, the way I would put it is, you were being forced to be saved. And everybody else who were not among the chosen few were being forced to be damned and there was no choice. There was no option, no hope for anybody that wasn't among the chosen few. I am very thankful for our pastor, Pastor Chuck, and the elders that we had and others who uh, stood firm. They weren't going to let that happen. They were not going to let that kind of theology invade our church. And a church that was at some time struggling became one that was united. And a lot of people didn't even know why. They didn't know the conflict was happening. And yet we had this season of togetherness and unity that was really quite remarkable. And that's what happened at this leadership summit in Jerusalem. They um, got together. This is the one that Paul didn't want to go to. The one that God said, got to go. 
And now, all of a sudden, it is completely clear to everyone. The gospel that Paul was preaching to the Gentiles is exactly the same as the gospel that was being preached throughout Jerusalem and Judea by the other apostles. The same. The same. This is the Holy Spirit at work in two different people groups. The Gentiles, the Jews, a former Pharisee reaching out to Gentiles and the apostles who had walked with Jesus for three and a half years. Same message, same gospel. What a victory that was for the gospel that day. The true gospel, the complete gospel, freedom from the law, freedom from the to-do list. And when the delegation went back, they sent others with them to affirm it and they sent a letter with them, signed by the other apostles, a victory for the gospel. The freedom of the gospel, it is a magnificent gift, and yet so easy for us to get wrong. I remember the first time I heard those words put together in just that way. It was when we were living in New York, listening to a masterful preacher, and he started talking about the freedom of the gospel. I was a believer. I knew Jesus. I knew the eternal question of my sin had been settled at the cross. I knew I was going to heaven. But I was still living and grieving my sin all the time. I was living in a place where I still was thinking that Jesus paid it all but... I need to sort of like pay it back. I need to measure up. I was beating myself up for things that Jesus had settled. Somehow I had missed the freedom. The freedom of the gospel. I had received forgiveness for eternity. And finally, years later, after constantly grieving my sins again and again and again, I received the reality that I can live in that forgiveness every single day. That it never goes away. I don't have to pay it back. I don't have to be sorry anymore for the sins that I committed long ago, last week, or just two minutes ago. I can live in the forgiveness of my sins every moment. Yes, I will do the wrong thing. I will mess it up. And I will confess to the Lord, messed it up again. And sometimes I get so discouraged because it seems like I keep doing the same things over and over and over again. But the reality is God gets it about me. And I can live in that forgiveness no matter what I mess up. He is done with our sin. And he has given us a gift to allow us to be done with it too. It sounds crazy, doesn't it? God 
is kind of crazy. He isn't like us at all. And you think about people that you know. I mean, how many times can you get offended by somebody where you just say, hey, you know what, I'm just not going to go there. It's not God. Again and again and again. It's called sanctification. That's the Bible word for it. He will always forgive us and he will always be working to cleanse us. And I'm here to tell you that 50 years later, after I first believed, my life is a little different. And I attribute that to him, his forgiveness, his constant forgiveness. It's always there, the freedom of the gospel. Let's pray together. Oh, blessed Lord, <laughs> it is so wonderful to be yours. It is so incredible to realize how crazy you are. You are crazy in love with us, and you always have been. Even before we believed, you were crazy in love with us. And then you've got this crazy idea of constant, continuous forgiveness that we just get to live in. And Lord, I pray that every time that we start to relive something, whether it was moments ago or weeks ago or decades ago, every time, remind us of the reality forgiven and free. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You are so magnificent, you are so different from us, and you have made us free. In your name, amen. So much to do and so little time. One, two, three, four. Whoa, 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 whoa. and bring your shame bring your guilt and bring your pain don't you know that's not your name you will always be much more to me every day I'll wrestle with the voices that keep telling me I'm not right but that's all right cause I hear a voice and he called me name. When others say I'll never be enough Greater is the one living inside of me Than he who is living in the world In the world In the world Greater is the one living in 
He who was living in the world. Dogs and bring your fear, bring your hurt and bring your tears. There'll be no condemnation here. You are holy, righteous, and redeemed. Every time I fall, there'll be those who will call me a mistake. But that's okay, because I hear a voice and he calls me redeemed. When others say I'll never be enough. And there is a one living inside of me, and he who is living in the world, in the world, in the world. And greater is the one living inside of me, than he who is living in the world. There'll be days I lose the battle, grace says it doesn't matter, cause the cross already won the war. I'm learning to run freely, understanding just how he sees me, and it makes me love him more and more. A little louder. There'll be days I lose the battle. Grace says it doesn't matter, cause the cross already won the war. I'm learning to run freely, understanding just how he sees me, and it makes me love him more and more. Cause I hear a voice and he called me redeemed, and others say I'll never may enough. Greater is the one living inside of me than he who is living in the world, in the world, in the world. And greater is the one living inside of me than he who is living in the world. There'll be days I lose the battle. Grace says it doesn't matter, cause the cross already won the war. And I am learning to run freely, understanding just how it sees me, and it makes me love him more and more. My God is greater than he who is living in the world. Amen. This is evangelism. These words come from Jesus Christ Himself. Just as the Father has sent me, so now I say, go and I hear a voice, and He called me redeemed. When others say I'll never be enough, you can clap here. The one living inside of me. And he who is living in the world, in the world, in the world. And greater is the one living inside of me than he who is living in the world. 